Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and the Bible, and we discuss practical ways to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on a sermon series from the book of Exodus. In a sermon titled Fear Factor, Pastor Stephen looks at what it means to fear God and why many people today don't. We'll talk about how God's power is perfected in our weakness, and we'll discuss how to trust God more. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, what is the fear of the Lord, and why is it the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord... Uh, starts, obviously, with fear, which is a response to power, uh, to majesty, to glory. Um, And Moses, in this passage, uh, makes a clear distinction between two types of fearful responses. The first is a natural fear, right? The inclination Mm -hmm. to uh, run away, to turn, to hide from power and Mm -hmm. uh, majesty, right? To see that power as maybe being negative uh, towards me. Moses says, don't, don't see the power that way. Don't be afraid like that. Uh, in fact, fear is talked about a lot in Scripture. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, God is telling his people, uh, and particularly people who see and experience him or uh, his angels, don't be afraid. Do not mm-hmm. fear, right? It's a very, very common command seen throughout Scripture. And the fear of the Lord that Moses wants Israel to experience is different, um, it's a response hmm. to that power display that might the glory that they see on top of Mount Sinai uh, that gives you an appropriate respect and reverence for the power holder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, a good example of this would be uh, it reminds me of a hike that we used to do when we lived in North Carolina to uh, a place, Linville Gorge. Uh, it's this beautiful, deep gorge, oh, uh, green amazing. all year round, great waterfalls, and you you hike up to this lookout point, this beautiful mm-hmm. wooden deck with rails, and it looks directly at the falls. Now, if you climbed under or over the rails and you walked down this tiny, very, very narrow path, mm-hmm. you could get out to this rock shelf that stuck out even further into the gorge um, and was a you know, 200, 300-foot drop if you fell off this rock. Oh, boy. But it gave you this beautiful, uh, completely unobstructed view of the falls. You could hear and feel the thunder of the waterfalls um, and we used to go down there and bring a picnic and sit out on the rock. Now, it would be one thing to be afraid of that 200, 300-foot drop if you fell off the rock and just say, you know what, we, we shouldn't go down there. We're not going right. to do it. Um, it would be different for you to say, this is dangerous. It's a 200 to 300-foot drop, and so I'm going to be very cautious. I'm going to mm-hmm. be very aware. I'm going to move slowly and carefully so that I don't... Um, potentially endanger myself, right? Fear that gives you a respect and a reverence mm-hmm. for the power that is there, right? The the, the potential of danger, mm-hmm. uh, but not actually turning and running away from it. Now, you mentioned the beginning of wisdom. 
Right. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, it says very explicitly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we take that idea of fear as giving you a proper reverence, a respect mm-hmm. for the holder of the power or the power itself, the majesty, the glory of God, right? it leads you to take his words seriously. You're going to take him uh, very seriously. Right. You're going to try to understand how what he says impacts your life and the way that you think and you feel and you act. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, that gives you a guide for how you should live, right? It applies God's word to your life. Now, that is the definition or, you know, a colloquial definition of wisdom, which is Mm -hmm. knowledge applied. So taking God's power to give us a proper reverence for him helps us uh, take him and his word seriously, which gives us a course for life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it seems like the people today don't have that fear, don't have that awe or reverence for God. Um, Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, I don't think people fear God in either way. I think very, very few people uh, are afraid of God and turn away from... That's the reason they turn away from Him, because they're afraid He's going to show up in a powerful way and hurt them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think very many of us are afraid of God in the sense of recognizing His power and His majesty and it giving us an appropriate... Uh, response and appropriate reverence for him. And mm-hmm. I think the reason is that we have explained away God's role uh, in the world, in our lives mm. especially. Um, we don't see the universe as being upheld by God's hand. We don't think he's very involved in our daily lives because we're the ones who make the decisions. We're the ones who work hard in order to achieve our goals. And yeah, sure, we screw things up and things don't go well. We have a, a rough day, but you know what? I can go to bed, wake up tomorrow, and it's a new day. I get a chance to to start mm-hmm. all over, to try again. Um, and as a as a human race, we have this belief that if there is something unknown or unexplainable, we just need some time and mm-hmm. some resources, and, and we'll figure it out. Right. And you know what? Honestly, we probably can. Right? Mm-hmm. Our our base of knowledge, our, our scientific acumen, our technological advancements have brought humanity an incredible understanding about uh, the human body, the the world that we live in, like the cosmos. But it has simultaneously led to us, subconsciously mostly, elbowing God mm-hmm. and His hand in our lives, in the world, just completely out of the picture. Um, right, and if God really isn't at work in my life, then He probably isn't that powerful. Right. If I can explain why the tides, uh, you know, exist because of the the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon and all that kind of stuff, then I don't really see it as God mm-hmm. doing anything. Um, and I think it's led us to this subconscious deism, right? Deism being the belief that um, God is there. But he's pretty distant, uninvolved. Mm-hmm. For the most part, he doesn't really care. Maybe he shows up every once in a great while, but for the most part, he started things in motion and then took a step back and just let us kind of carry along. I think that's how most of us live, mm-hmm. most of us think and operate. Well, it certainly was easier for the, the people of Israel to have a fear of the Lord when they saw you know, th- that mountain with the, the lightning, the thunder, and, and so forth. Right, um, yeah. So, but where can we see God's power today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think the, fir- the first answer 
that I would say is uh, you got to take scripture seriously. You have mm-hmm. to believe that this isn't just a made up story, like a cute fairy tale to help us apply some truths to our lives, but this is actually history mm-hmm. that the people who experienced it uh, either wrote it down or they they passed it along in such a way as to keep the details accurate. Um you know, reading a story like this where Israel is standing in front of a mountain that is ringed in fire and smoke mm-hmm. and lightning, um, and not just dismiss it as, oh, it's probably some kind of supernatural weather event. Right. Um, or like, it, was, it, it wasn't actually Mount Sinai, it was a volcano and they just didn't right, know it. Right, right, right. Um, you know, when you dismiss things like that, maybe it seems logical, and maybe you want to prove it for, through some form of text criticism, like you can show, oh yeah, this wasn't accurately written at this time or whatever, but mm-hmm. really what's happening in your heart is you're just devaluing the truth of the words before you, and that makes you take God less powerfully, right? You're, right. You don't have anything to fear if there's the Israelites are standing in front of a volcano mm-hmm. instead of, you know, a, a mountain ringed by smoke and lightning and God's booming voice. Um, I think another way to develop a healthy fear of God is is asking God to experience his power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many, so many of us in, in so many different situations of life that are afraid to ask for something miraculous, Mm -hmm. um, afraid to ask for healing or supernatural intervention in a relationship or a job, um, because we know how messy we are. Right. Uh, And we think, uh, we just, I just don't deserve that. There's so many people in such worse situations than I, and I don't deserve God's uh, power uh, to change my life. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's appropriate. You know, I think what we see in Scripture is an invitation God gives to His people to come and ask for the the needs of their lives and the desires Mm -hmm. of their heart. And if you really believe that God is powerful enough, um, you know, as Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to these mountains, get up and move, and they would cast themselves Mm -hmm. into the sea. Right. If we really believe that God has the power to miraculously intervene in our lives— then we would be asking to see his power, to experience his power more and more, and that would develop a fear in us of God, that healthy fear, that that respect, that reverence. Now, we need to ask that with the full understanding that God has every right to show us his power or not, and both are acceptable responses. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that's one way Another way, besides taking Scripture seriously, is asking, ask God to show you His power. And you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how He opens your eyes uh, to see where He's at work um, in your life and the lives of others around you and in the world. So I just thought about this while you are unpacking that. Um, so two, two questions. Have you yourself seen God miraculously working in the lives of people that you've pastored uh, the second question I think is sort of interesting too is that you spent time in uh, Kenya. Uh, did Correct. you see some things there that were kind of mind blowing? God's power at work. Yeah, absolutely. In both cases, both, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think really the only difference between the two uh, situations is that in Kenya, the people we were. Uh, doing ministry alongside of and and doing ministry, you know, serving, um, we there's a much lower bar for self reliance 
Um, mm. The the resources well, that are available in Kenya are much much. Uh, it's a much smaller pool, mm-hmm. um, and so people tend to see um, miracles and God's power easier. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, not because yeah. God is more active there, but because they're they're less uh, likely to say. Oh, this is this is why because so and so paid this amount or so and so has this strength and whatever you know. Or you um, take someone to the emergency room and they get treated there, here sure. right, but over there they don't have access to to that kind of care, right? Sure. Let, yeah, yeah. Let me give you a great example that that it, that's less in like the healing realm and more in just like God's particular power. The the church that that I worked with. Um, had been saving for a long time for a piece of property kind of out in the countryside. This is uh, the church is in the second largest slum in Africa, the largest slum in Kenya called Kibera, right in the middle mm-hmm. of downtown Nairobi, which is about the size of uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, the church uh, serves all these children by also housing a school and a feeding program. They also feed um, people suffering from. AIDS in the community by, you know, providing them nutritional supplements and um, meals and things like that and doing Bible studies. And they they had saved for this piece of property kind of out in the countryside that mm-hmm. uh, was going to be a farm to be able to plant food and, and be able to sustainably provide food for all these people that depend on it in the community. And uh, they, they bought this piece of land, and then they went looking for a water source on this piece of property. Mm-hmm. And realistically, if they don't find one, they're going to have to p- purchase water and you either have it, you know, piped in or they're going to have to buy water, you know, by the week and have it driven out to them. It's it's a very strange uh, different than what you would expect. And so they they contract a person to come out and bore holes to see if there's a well, like a natural tap to the aquifer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he looked all over the piece of property and said, you know, hey, we don't, there's no way that you have any water here on the property. You're going to have to pay all this extra money in order to get water brought out here uh, to farm. Um, and the pastor, the guy who had surveyed all this and, and purchased the land pointed to this one corner and he said, uh, what about that corner? And the guy said, no, based on the rocks and all this kind of stuff, there's no way that there's water there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, can you just go try? And so he went and bored a hole there, and it was a, it was a natural spring, like a tap wow. to the aquifer right there in that spot. And like, it's not this amazing show of God's power, but not only was there a, a water source on that piece of property, but it was in the only place where they could then reliably give water to the other neighbors around. Wow. Like it's a, mm. it's incredible to think of that. Um, now you could obviously explain that away, but you could also choose to take a step back and say, sure, there's a bunch of natural explanations for that, but God chose to have the property lines drawn up in such a way right. to, to work all these things out to have the water source right there in that mm-hmm. one particular spot. Um, and you know, like in a much less, uh, like hands-on agrarian way, Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen people come into counseling situations just adamant that uh, it's not their fault that the relationship that that they're in is crumbling because of the other person's sin, and there's no way they're going to put up with it anymore, and they're going to leave. You know, I I got called 
to do, to do a counseling session one night and uh, so the person said like I've I've got a place to stay and I'm leaving like I'm done I'm mm. I'm 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 going away I, I bought a plane ticket to go somewhere no. else and I'm done with this and God changed this person's heart to see oh I'm I'm just as much the problem as my spouse I'm mm. just as much at fault here as my spouse. Do I still dislike the the way that my spouse is responding and they're talking and all these kinds of things? Yes. Mm-hmm. But their eyes have been open to see their own role in it. And that there's no way to explain that other than God powerfully working in their hearts. I mean, I'm I'm not a great counselor. I'm not like super qualified to be this awesome counselor that just pinpoints people's problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, God did this work, and it's power. It's powerful when you see it happen, and when you when you're able to watch God at work. Yeah, it seems like if we're more open to the idea that God is working in our lives, we might even see more of these opportunities. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So in this passage, Moses says that God was testing them so that they would be afraid and not sin. Can you think of a modern day example of God doing this? Sure. Um, yeah. And and. What's really important here, and I hope I conveyed this in the sermon, is that this word, we, we don't like this word test. Yeah. Um, and we often associate testing with failure and, you know, being trapped, manipulated. Uh, we kind of think God sometimes is waiting for that gotcha moment where we slip mm-hmm. up and he was like, ha this was a test and you failed. <laughs> um, and I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who say, like, that's actually... I don't like that aspect of God, that he's right. just there, he's given us the rules, and he's waiting for us to fail. Mm. Um, that's not the kind of testing that we're talking about. That's not the kind of testing that God puts uh, on his people, on his children, right? It's not uh, testing in the sense of uh, checking our ability to follow. It's a test in the sense of proving God's faithfulness. Mm. Um, he shows them back, you know, chapters before at Mara that he can turn bitter things sweet, um, things that would lead to death into things that lead to life, right? He can prove uh, through giving manna that mm-hmm. he is faithful day in and day out. He will provide, as he says he will provide. And here at Sinai, he's proving uh, his power um, and his relational ability. So in the midst of this amazing electrical storm, thunder, trumpet blast, all that kind of stuff. He's mm-hmm. also speaking clearly to humans in a way that would make it seem like he's there in person. Mm. Uh, now, where have I seen modern-day examples of this testing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can think of a, some friends of ours uh, in a previous church who were struggling with infertility, and... Mm. Um, you know, it, when you're in a situation like that, if, if you've never been there, it's it's so painful, and it's so hard, and mm-hmm. it seems like everybody else is getting pregnant. Even people who don't want to get pregnant are getting pregnant, and you can't. Right. Um, and I assume, you know, I've heard the same type of pain uh, from people who are single and wanting to be married, from people who are married and, and just not in a great marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just this isolation and loneliness, and it feels like the whole world is against you. Um, and it also feels like God has said, hey, there's got to be something that you're not doing correctly, right? That mm-hmm. The inverse test. Like, right. if you would just get this right, then I'll bless you. Um, and the the constant word from Scripture is that that God is faithful, that God yeah. cares, that God is aware, that He He, a suffering God, knows the pain you're going through, sympathizes with it and loves you through it. Um, and 
you know, in some cases, people with struggling with infertility are able to get pregnant. And this one mm-hmm. uh, couple that I'm thinking of, uh, they uh, struggled with uh, infertility, and then they went through IVF and spent most of their savings and still couldn't get pregnant, um, and then, uh, you know, didn't have enough for adoption right away. And um, and when finally they, they went through the foster system um, mm. and did some foster care stuff and uh, and eventually, like the first moment that they were approved to foster a child, it 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 I don't know how to explain it for them, mm-hmm. other than like the the faithfulness aspect clicked. That even though they weren't able to have children of their own, they weren't able to have it even with the assistance of modern technology. Mm-hmm. Um, that this was God proving His faithfulness. Um, now there's also another couple that I know that are, they're actually friends and they, they weren't able to uh, adopt. They weren't able to get pregnant and they don't have children. Um, and they have seen God's faithfulness for them in a different way, like through a different angle, a different facet of God's faithfulness. Hmm. And it's, they, I don't know that they would use the terminology of testing, but they would say they can look back on their story, their life story and see it all as God proving his faithfulness in the midst of hardship, in the midst of brokenness and sorrow and loneliness. Um, if we if we choose to believe mm-hmm. that God is faithful as he says he's faithful, that God works all things out for our good and for his glory, then what we see is that looking back often, we see the results of God proving himself to us in ways we couldn't see when we were in the midst of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, that, that totally makes sense. So, Stephen, one of, your, one of your points in your sermon was that fear strengthens us to follow God. How does, how does that work? Um, yeah, that's a hard one, but a good one, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think I spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, right. Steve Brown is one of my favorite pastors. He's a pastor in... Florida sometimes preaches in Atlanta as well. He writes, he's got a podcast series, a radio ministry too, called Key Life. Um, I actually had the opportunity to take a class from him in seminary. Hmm. Uh, But one of the quotes that I love that he says is, the bad news is God doesn't need you, but the good news is God doesn't need you. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of one of those wonky quotes that you have to sit and think about for a while and and understand, Um, right? And the reality that God has absolutely no need for you uh, for your quote-unquote power, if we were to call it that, to accomplish right. his purposes, means um, it doesn't really matter what you do. It mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't force God's hand. You can't change the course of what he's doing. You actually play very little role in God's plan and purpose for the world and his creation. Um, and that can be a scary thought. It mm-hmm. can be incredibly intimidating. Uh, but, it, but it also means that you could fail miserably, and it's not going to affect God's plan to redeem you and to mm-hmm. bring you home uh, for all eternity, right? Like, there's this double side uh, of this, and and that's power, right? What we're talking about is God's power. Um, he doesn't need humanity to do anything, and yet mm-hmm. he chooses to invite his people to walk with him as he continues to redeem and restore and remake all of creation, uh, to be agents of change, to use uh, you know a tr- trite little term, but uh, mm. 
if we see God's power as not needing us, um, that should inspire some fear, right? The negative side. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of scary to not be needed. Right. Um, it's kind of uh, you know it gives you some respect for God's power to realize that you play no role in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gives you uh, this sense that someone who chooses to use that power uh, to re- reclaim you, to restore you. And also invite you into restoring other people by pointing them to Jesus, by loving them, by serving them, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they go hand in hand, right? Like, God doesn't need you because he's all-powerful, and yet God chooses to invite you because he uses his power as a loving father. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, to me, that that rings true, and maybe that didn't make sense to anybody else, but that's okay. No, but it, it, but and, and also... It, it, well, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray, right? Because because God has um, ordained that that His will will come to pass, oftentimes right. through the prayers of His people. So we That's we right. actually have a role in in that respect, right? And and uh, you know, then that brings up the other point of being afraid in the opposite way. Like if I don't pray about this, mm-hmm. then it's never going to happen. So right. I got to. Keep a lit right, right. It's easy for us to sway over to that other side of fear, um, mm-hmm. but remembering that God is all powerful to do everything that He wants, and He has ordained for you to play a role in this. Um, it's it's a freeing thing to realize that He's still going to do whatever He wants. Mm-hmm. He just has also ordained for you to follow and to participate in some way. Right. Um, it gives you some freedom to 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 use your gifts and abilities and heart and conscience and all the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, all that kind of stuff, to mm-hmm. follow Him, knowing that uh, you can't, uh, you know, un- undo what He is doing or fail mm-hmm. in a way that upsets His plan. It sounds like all of this is pointing to us uh, learning to trust God more in all of these circumstances. So my yeah. question to you is, like, how do we learn learn to trust God more? Man, no one's going to like this answer. Um, <laughs> it, it's through um, that testing, you uh, know? Yeah. It's through getting to a place where we need God to prove himself to be faithful mm-hmm. time and time again, right? Like, our lives, they're going to go haywire. Things mm-hmm. are going to go off course. We're going to screw up. People are going to hurt us. We're going to lose jobs, right? The economy is going to tank. And we're going to get to this point where we see... The only hope that we have is if God shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're at the bottom of the of the barrel, that's when we tend to see that God is there and that God was always there. Um, and we had just used all of our other resources and gifts and qualifications and status and relationships and wealth and all that kind of stuff to convince mm-hmm. ourselves that we were the ones responsible for our planning and our success. Uh, but it's when we get to the bottom, right? When Israel gets uh, up to the water source at Mara, and they've been mm-hmm. walking in the wilderness, and they have no water, and it's bitter. They yeah. have no hope unless God shows up, right? When they are out of food, and they have nothing to eat, mm-hmm. they are out of hope unless God shows up. Uh, and when they're standing at the foot of the mountain, and they see the thunder and the lightning, and they hear the trumpet blast, and they, and they, they sense God's power, they have no hope. Hmm. unless God shows up. And that's where this testing comes in. Um, you know, there's that uh, terrible 
poem. I, terrible is not the right word. It's just overused and it's pretty uh, chintzy. Uh, mm-hmm. The the footsteps in the sand poem. Where hey man, that's a, person, a good poem. It it is, but I feel like I've seen it, it's overused. It's, it's unlike, a little bit hallmarky, but it's yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good way you. to put it. It's hallmarky, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I, but I think that that's a, an accurate picture, right? Uh, to apply what we're saying, you know, in in mm. the the times in life where things are the hardest, that's where we see God carrying us. The reality mm. is, He's always carrying us. We just have ways to fool ourselves into thinking that it's us in the good times, mm-hmm. that it's our strength, that it's our power, that we are the ones manifesting this good life, when in reality, it everything that we have is, is a gift of God. And so right. uh, learning to trust God comes from uh, places of, uh, of weakness, of powerlessness, of uh, the hard times in life. You know, when you look back and you, if you were to write out your story, which I encourage everybody to do, what you tend to see is that it's the hard times in life that really shape how you think about God and and how you feel about his love for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and I, I think that just, that's because that's the times where we see God's faithfulness the most, Uh, not because it's only then he's faithful, but because it's when we're able to do away with all of the um, distractions. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about power for a minute, because a lot of the sermon had to do with power. Um, So how does our own drive for power lead to sin? How does it not, I guess, Mm. might be a better question. (laughs) Um, Right, The the whole thing comes down to breaking the first couple of commandments. Mm. Um, You know, this is kind of the, the end of the the giving of the Ten Commandments, but it, it all goes back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Wanting to to gain power or to demonstrate the power that we have is really a symptom of uh, elevating yourself to a mm-hmm. godlike status, of either worshiping yourself uh, or at least thinking of yourself as worthy of the worship of other people around you. You know, mm-hmm. when your your kids or your employees or your coworkers or your spouse, when they refuse to listen to your voice, uh, when mm-hmm. they... Um, you know, just brush you off as if you have no power in their life. You're going to demonstrate your power in some way that is likely exaggerated and likely sinful, right? You're going to show them. Uh, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, we have a really good example of this in the the murder of George Floyd. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what was happening in that officer's heart or his life mm-hmm. story or anything, uh, but what, what you see in this terrible video is that... Th- the the way he's restraining George Floyd is sh- is designed to show his power yeah to this person that's human that he's handcuffed and is kneeling on his neck to the people around him mm-hmm. to his fellow officers whomever right it's a it's a sinful display of this this person's drive for power now here's the biggest problem uh, everybody that has watched that video would agree yes absolutely that mm-hmm. that's a that's a display of power but we don't see and we don't agree that in our own hearts and our own words and, and even our own actions we do the exact same thing mm-hmm. every day it just doesn't necessarily have the same consequence right mm-hmm. we write emails that start as you'll see from my previous email right and the implication is i've said this before you dimwit Mm-hmm. Right, it's a display of power. It's a passive aggressive <laughs> right. display of power, but it's still mm-hmm. 
a, a drive for power, right? We we ice out our roommates or our spouse because they've hurt us. And and man, icing someone out is a great way to show them who has the power in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get cut off in traffic, and then you speed up and cut off the person back to prove that you actually are in control, that you have the power. Uh, maybe you even go so far as to sit at a green light until it turns red, and then you go through to make that person wait through another light. Not that I've ever done that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you did, it would be a display it, it, of yeah, power. Yes. Asking right? for and a it, friend. <laughs> it, it's, it's all yeah. sinful. It's yeah. all derived from self-idolatry and a demand for worship, right? That's what our drive for power does, mm-hmm. is it demands other people worship us, including ourselves, and it punishes those who refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so do those who have power have a responsibility to those who don't? A- absolutely. Um, now, uh, here's, here's the, the only qualifier, unfortunately, we can put on this, is mm-hmm. responsibility to whom? Um, you know, it, if you are following Jesus, you have a responsibility to to conform yourself to Christ mm-hmm. um, as He loves you and sacrifices for you. You should also sacrifice for others, right? This is what He says in John fifteen thirteen: mm-hmm. "Greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends." Or First John three sixteen: "This is how we know what love is." that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for others. Now, the, the, the thing is, Jesus gave up his glory, uh, became uh, human, took on the form of a servant, uh, serving others, obeying the law, living perfectly, and then o- obeyed God all the way to the point of dying on the cross. And uh, does he ask that of us? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, it's possible. Um, but I think more likely, we what we see is that God um, invites us to choose to sacrifice the things we think bring us life mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, serve others and to lay down our uh, paths to life, as it were, for others. Uh, now, yeah. power is one of those, right? In In our world, if you have power, then you... You are the the top of the food chain, right? You are living life large, and and mm-hmm. if you want a better life, you have to get power in, in some form. Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's status, uh, maybe it is physical power. Um, and so, what we see uh, from those who follow Jesus is you are called to give that up. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean you stop pursuing uh, a good job or you stop pursuing physical health or whatever. It means that you recognize that the the reason you have been given any of that is to use to serve others, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know there is a there is a call there for the the, the Christian. Now, uh, for the non Christian, for the the person who's not following Jesus, um, there is a there is a sense in which we uh, see our culture turning now uh, mm-hmm. to sense that uh, we are should as humans defend the weak right. defend the 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 broken care for the homeless care for those who don't have uh, the freedoms and the and the privilege that others do and uh, you know some I'm, I don't want to get into a political debate about this but what mm-hmm. I do want to say is the only reason that we see uh, people start to embrace this idea that 
I should use my privilege as a, a white person in order to help benefit those who don't have that same privilege, whether they're mm-hmm. African American or Asian American, whatever. Like the only reason a non-Christian would be willing to say, "Oh yeah, I should use my privilege that way," is because God has not left creation uh, without a, a sense of of His himself, mm. right? Like right. the image of God is still existent in every person, even though we are all corrupted by sin, we're not totally corrupted. Mm-hmm. And so God is using this uh, time, these terrible uh, tragedies, these senseless uh, murders, uh, in order to awaken uh, the sensibilities of people who many don't follow him to see mm-hmm that there is value in other in the lives of other humans they're not going to say it's because they're made in the image of god but that is the reason um and so i think we're starting to see a shift in our culture that says that there is a responsibility that you have as a responsibility um to care for those who are weak to love those who are are lonely and isolated to to use your privilege to benefit those who don't have the same privileges Mm-hmm. So then what about those among us that already feel powerless and weak? What's, what is the, the answer for them? Yes, uh, and this is a, this is a really hard, uh, a really personal question, because uh, powerlessness comes from different sources, for sure. Um, you know, people uh, may feel powerless and weak to do anything against um, uh, cultural uh, oppression, or, or mm-hmm. against their economic situation, they feel powerless, or they may feel powerless in a particular relationship, or, or it, maybe you're watching all this stuff unfold on the news with the coronavirus and these demonstrations and uh, people co-opting the demonstrations in order to riot and loot. Uh, maybe you're watching the political landscape just slide down into the muck and the mire, mm-hmm. and maybe you feel powerless to to do anything about it, right? All these different sources of powerlessness. Um, and so one of, one of the questions... I think is important to ask, and I encourage people to ask in the midst of any type of feeling of powerlessness or suffering or pain, mm-hmm. um, in addition to what they're doing and, and whatever, ask this question, Jesus, what are you up to? Hmm. What are you up to in making me feel powerless right now? Uh, because that is, right, like, as we've said in, in the sermon, throughout Scripture, in the in the podcast— power drives you towards uh, what you think will lead you to life, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. power that is in the world is is power that isn't going to bring life, right? Like physical power, you, you can't live forever, so your physical power is going to go away. Right. Um, you know, wealth, it, it, the power that you have from wealth is going to go away. Uh, your voice, right? Your your ability to change other people's hearts and minds just by your wisdom and your voice, it's going to go away. And so mm. when you feel powerless, what you're feeling is a sense that the the power the world has to offer um, is not cutting it, that mm-hmm. it's not going to lead you to life. And so the question becomes, God, why are you making me feel as if these avenues of power I've held onto for a while aren't cutting it anymore? Mm-hmm. What are you doing in that? And, and he will answer. He will show. I mean, asking that question is a is a is an incredible place to start. I think the other thing 
that we need to see is that this is one of the reasons that God calls us as individuals into a body, into a family, hmm. because powerlessness um, is addressed often through the resources of others we're connected to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason that Paul talks about the the different um, gifts within the body, right? If you feel powerless because you don't feel like your voice can change the hearts and minds of other people, well, God has given the church people whose voices do change the hearts and mm-hmm. minds of other people, right? If you feel powerless because you don't have a lot of resources to be able to help uh, someone else, or to get yourself out of a, a, a powerless situation, mm-hmm. God has given the church body financial resources to be able to help people out of those scenarios. And so mm-hmm. uh, go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe maybe you need to be given a hand uh, and, and helped out in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you need to be shown that you actually have more power than you think uh, you do, and maybe you need to be given an invitation to go use that power some way that you couldn't see before. Um, and mm. then the the final point I'll add, and, and this is a long answer to a short question, is that if you are feeling powerless, you know, shoot me an email, uh, mm-hmm. reach out, like talk to me, talk to Bob, to one of the elders, to one of our women's care team. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about that powerlessness feeling, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, that's. That's important, right? Powerlessness is um, the one aspect of this spectrum that our society has placed incredibly high, right? Mm-hmm. Like power and, and powerlessness is high value in our society. And if you mm-hmm. are um, trending in that direction on the spectrum, then something's up. Jesus right. is doing something in your life, and I'd love to talk to you about that, because um, that's when God starts to do some amazing things, um, and that's when we see the body of Christ really rally around mm-hmm. people um, and and live up to their potential. Yeah, great, Stephen. Lots of, lots of practical applications here. Um, so grateful for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. The title of Stephen's sermon is Fear Factor. You can find that sermon and all of our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're still not physically meeting for church services, but with the new revised orders for Santa Clara County, we're discussing ways for us to slowly and safely reopen. In the meantime, we're streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube at 9 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to have you join us. Grace's pastors, elders, and leaders are on duty, so let us know how we can care for you. We'll be back next week for another episode of the GSB podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.